Okay, we're looking at Acts chapter uh, 17, verse 16 to 34. Yeah, it's always good to check. It's the same up there as I think it is. Okay. When they, um, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. 
When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And few men be and few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Diosmus, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Okay. Well, if you haven't met me before, my name's Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. In fact, today I'm the only pastor. Lamb's on holidays, which is great. Uh, so he, Lucy, and the kids have gone away. Uh, they're away for three weeks, I think. So it's a pretty good spell. So hopefully uh, they'll come back really refreshed. And hopefully I won't burn the place down in the meantime. Um, but this week we're looking at the last of our Curious series. Uh, the last of our kind of big questions. We're going to do a few more later on in the year. Uh, but this is the last one for now. Uh, and it's good to remind us that we're doing this uh, because we have a faith that we know holds up to scrutiny, uh, that can stand up to people's questions. Uh, it's a Christianity, our Christianity, uh, doesn't encourage us to leave our intelligence at the door. Uh, it's not a blind faith. Uh, rather, we, we want to be able to put the claims of the Bible to the test. Uh, so that's part of what we're doing. Uh, hopefully that's been helpful for you, whether you're new to this Jesus thing and you're trying to figure it out. Maybe you're an old hand and you're trying to figure out how do I answer these tough questions. Uh, and hopefully this has given you some insight uh, into that. Um, it's also the reason this, this holding up to scrutiny thing is the reason that we do a Q&A each week. Uh, so as always, after the service, um, we'll have a question time. So if there's something you want to push back on, something you want to dig a bit deep, you want to ask me where did I get that idea from, you can. Uh, and so uh, as we go, jot those down, send me a text, whatever you need to. Uh, that's my number there, so you can call me and say hi through the week as well if you like. Um, but, but that's the kind of faith that we have. Um, uh, and it's why we, I don't know if you've noticed, it's why we work through the Bible in the way that we do. Uh, we don't skip around and, and pick out passages that, that sound nice that we, we kind of want to deal with. Uh, we try to cover as much of the Bible as we can. We do that in whole books. Uh, and sometimes they're, they're books that are hard to wrap your head around. Next week, uh, we start our series through Judges. I don't know if you're very familiar with Judges. It's one of the harder books, I think, in the Bible. It's one of the places where we find uh, some of the most wicked behaviour, I think, in human history. And we have to look at that and figure out what it's doing there. How do we reconcile this with a, a good God who loves us? Uh, and so, so that's all part of this. Uh, we we want to dig deep. Uh, we want to be people who understand our faith, uh, who understand what the Bible is trying to tell us. Uh, and so uh, this week, this is the question. Can many paths lead to God? Uh, it's a big question, I think. Uh, it's a question that comes up a lot. I find it as we talk to people, uh, people out in our community, out in the world, uh, maybe you've heard it a little bit more flipped the other way. We've put it, this is the nice way, can many paths lead to God? Uh, the harder way is, is there really only one path to God? I think one of the heaviest criticisms that Christianity receives uh, is for its arrogance, or perceived arrogance at least. Uh, it's, it's because of this for many people, seemingly outrageous claim 
that Christianity is the only way to God, that Jesus uh, is the only way to heaven. Uh, we want to recognise up front uh, that it's not a claim that, that has kind of somehow found its way into the church after the fact. Uh, this was the claim of Jesus himself. Uh, so have a look at this verse, a pretty famous one, John 14, 6. Uh, so Jesus' words, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. No one comes to God except through Jesus. And it's a huge claim, isn't it? Uh, it's easy to see why a claim like that doesn't go down well with people. I think one of the biggest issues about this claim is what it implies, uh, what it tells us about people who don't follow Jesus. Uh, see, to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven is to say that anyone without Jesus is excluded. That's big. Uh, think about the ramifications. Uh, picture this imaginary person. Uh, I'm going to call her Betty. She's 70 years old. Uh, she's a lady who has devoted her life to doing good. Every spare bit of money that she's had through the course of her life, she hasn't spent on herself. Uh, she's given it to those in need. Uh, she's uh, helped people wherever she can. She, this is a lady who's never committed a crime, never even fudged her taxes. But she's not a follower of Jesus. And so according to Jesus' words... She cannot come to the Father. She cannot go to heaven. And of course, that's just as true for someone uh, who's devoutly following a different religion. It's the same thing. Uh, when we put it in those terms, for many, even most people, it seems striking and unfair, doesn't it? And it's not hard to recognise how a claim like that can come across offensive, can be offensive. And it's no surprise that Christians are seen as arrogant when this is what they say. That they're condescending for making claims like that. Uh, so today, uh, that's the claim we're going to examine. Uh, we're going to try and make sense of it. I'm aiming to help us all think through what's really going on here. Um, maybe you're here and you're nodding along and saying, yeah, this is something that, that I don't like. This is something that, that puts me off Jesus, makes me wonder... Should I be following him or, or would I ever follow him? Probably not. I want to show you what Jesus' claim is all about and hopefully show you that it's a good claim. Uh, maybe you're at the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you're someone uh, who already thinks Jesus is the only way. There's nothing new here. Uh, well, I want to help us to think about some of the inherent dangers that come with that truth. Uh, dangers that can lead us to do things that, that are unhelpful. And uh, so that's something we're going to think about as well. Uh, we're going to think about it all in three steps. Uh, the first thing we'll think about is the alternative. What's the opposite? Uh, what would it look like if multiple paths could lead to God? Uh, how would we wrap our heads around that? Uh, second, uh, we'll look at what God says. We're going to have a look at the Bible, uh, what, what that tells us about God's claims, uh, what he says about himself. Uh, and we'll ask, can we trust those claims? Uh, the third step is to, is to think about why Christianity is different. Uh, different from the other paths, uh, and I think perhaps different from what you might expect. Uh, and as always, uh, we'll finish by asking, what do we do with it all? Uh, what does it mean for us here and now? 
Um, but before we go there, before we do all that, I'm going to pray for us that this is a really valuable time. Uh, so please join me. Lord, we, uh, we want to thank you that we can be here today. Uh, we thank you for the chance uh, to dig into this big question. We thank you that you've given us so much in your word to help us try and understand it. Uh, and I just pray that you give me your words, that you'd help me speak your truth, uh, that we may know it and understand it uh, and be transformed by it. And we pray that in Jesus' great name. All right. Uh, so that first one, the alternative, I skipped a slide, there we go. Um, the first is to look at the alternative. What does it mean for many or even all paths to lead to God? And of course, uh, that's a, a bold thing to say we're going to look at. There's all sorts of different possible takes on the idea. Uh, I can't speak to them all. Uh, but I'm going to use an image that I think is often what, where people go when they think of, of many paths uh, being okay, being a way to God. And it comes from a parable that many of you, I'm sure, have heard before. Uh, a parable uh, that comes from India. I think it captures a lot of how people think about this. Uh, the parable goes that there's an elephant that arrives in a remote village uh, and there's a group of blind men in that village. The, the blind men have never come across an elephant before. Uh, they don't really know what it is. And so they decide that they're going to go try and figure it out for themselves. Uh, so they go to the elephant and, and they all start trying to figure out what is this thing. One is holding the trunk. Uh, he declares that wow, the elephant is just like a snake. Uh, another grabs the leg and says, whoa, mate, you're, you're way off course. Uh, this thing's like a pillar or a tree. It's huge. Another grabs a tusk. He says, no, more of a spear kind of thing. It's long, it's sharp. Uh, I think it's like a spear. And another says, oh, you've got it all wrong. You're all off track. This is like a rope. He's holding the tail. And so on. There's a whole bunch more you can do. Uh, but the idea that this parable, the way that people use it, uh, is that, uh, each of the religions of the world are like one of those blind men. Each have grabbed hold of part of the truth. But they've missed that there's something bigger at play. They're all describing something that is true. Uh, it, it's right. They, they've got that perspective. Uh, but they're missing the ultimate thing. They're missing that they're all describing different parts of the same thing. And it's a great image for lots. They, they kind of see and think, yeah, this, this fits. Everyone's grabbing hold of something that's true, but they're missing the bigger picture. Uh, actually, all the religions are the same thing. They're all doing the same thing. They're just doing it in a different way. Uh, it's nice. It allows us to, to kind of have this image that, that everyone's kind of doing it in their own way, and that's great. Um, uh, I want to say that it is appealing that we're all right in our own way. Uh, and so there's an appeal there that, that we should be able to just get along. We're all kind of nutting out at, at the same direction. Uh, we do need to notice that for most of the world's mainstream religions, there are lots of things in common. Uh, for the most part, they value gathering in some form. Uh, most have a holy book that guides them along. Uh, most have a, a sense of a god or gods who teach them what to do. But though on the surface they, they look very similar, we also need to recognise that, that each is fundamentally different. See, in simple terms, most religions claim to have the exclusive path to God. 
Uh, Buddhists tell us that the only way to enlightenment is via the Eightfold Path. Uh, Muslims tell us the five pillars, that's the way to get to God. Uh, the only way, well, to Allah. For Jews, it's only via God's law and so on. And so I think while people often assume that religions are fundamentally the same, the reality is the opposite, that they're fundamentally different and at best superficially similar. And when we really think about it, it's actually quite insulting, isn't it, to lump all religions in and say they're more or less the same. Ultimately, it just shows that the person saying it doesn't have a good grasp of what each of the religions really believe. And they're not really aware of what each religion claims to miss and say that we can lump them together. And presumably there's a limit to who makes the cut. We can't just say all paths lead to God. What about the religion that claims the only path to God is by child sacrifice? Are we, are we going to include them in the bunch? Of course not. We can't say that's a valid path. And so there has to be limits. We have to actually shape who's in and who's out. Ultimately, the illustration just doesn't work. Uh, but I want to show you what I think is the most striking part of it. And that is, did you notice who in the parable isn't blind? The only one who isn't blind is the person giving the commentary. They're the only one who can see the full truth. They're the only one uh, who can see that all the others only have part of the truth. Their claim is that everyone else is missing the big picture, except for them. See, the person that claims that, that all religions essentially are the same, that all religions lead to God, is the one that says they can see more than everyone else. Ultimately, they're saying the same thing that they're accusing Christianity of doing. They're saying their path is the only way, that they're the only one with the real truth. And for it to work, you, you need a particular view of God, don't you? For this to be true, you need a God who says that all you really need to do is, is just try. doesn't matter the direction. Just give it, give it a go and you're in. That's a particular view of God, an exclusive view of God. And again, it sounds nice, but, but the question that drives us should be, is it true? And that's where we get to our second point, our second step. We want to ask that question of what God says himself. Uh, and in coming to this point, if you're someone who's sceptical, you'll straight away see the flaw. Uh, that I'm going to say my particular version of what I think God says when there's any number of possible versions. How is mine right and, and the others wrong? Uh, hopefully you've seen as we've gone that it just doesn't work to say that any path is true. Uh, because there's just too much contradiction between them. And so I'm picking the one that I think is correct, uh, and that's the one we're going to look at. Uh, now, how we get there, there's a big discussion there, but along the way, uh, I want to give you a bit of a brief version of why I think we can trust the Bible's claim, uh, why I think God, the, the Bible's version of God is the right one to listen to. Uh, so uh, stay with me, uh, and we'll get there. Uh, but I think it's worth hearing this picture from the Bible and starting there. Uh, so I want to start with the passage that Jenny read out for us earlier. It comes from the book of Acts, 
which takes place after Jesus died, uh, came alive again and then ascended up to heaven. Uh, and the book of Acts, as many of us know, because we've just been looking at it, uh, it was our last series, but the book of Acts tells the story of Jesus' followers taking out this good news after he's left, uh, spreading the word of Jesus. Uh, and in this particular passage, we see Paul, one of those early believers, in a place called Athens. Now, Athens was the place that philosophers loved to hang out. Uh, it was a long time uh, after some of the famous philosophers you, you might have heard of, uh, people like uh, Plato and Socrates, uh, I think uh, Aristotle was in there too. Uh, this is a few hundred years after that, but the tradition kind of lives on. Uh, there's this one place that, that we see this story taking place, the Areopagus, where people would gather and they'd debate all day uh, about, you know, God, uh, life, the universe, everything. And so there's all these sorts of different ideas uh, going back and forth, and Paul comes along with a new idea, uh, this, the idea of Jesus. Uh, and listen to what he says to them. They ask for, for his take on God, and so this is what he says. Paul then stood in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walk around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Now he starts off, he says, I see you guys are very religious. Uh, today we might say, oh, I can see you're very spiritual uh, or, or that you're chasing the meaning of life. And he points out uh, that he saw an idol that was inscribed to an unknown God. Uh, and that helps give the picture of the kind of people that he was talking to. Uh, these were people who wanted to cover their bases, uh, who, who weren't sure on the path and so wanted to include them all just in case. Uh, they put this idol in case there was a God that they hadn't heard of yet. And so they wanted to make sure they were accounting for that one. Uh, it's a little bit different from that elephant picture, the, the idea that people have now that, that any path leads to God. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit more of hedging your bets kind of thing. Uh, but the action is similar. This inclusive idea is there. But Paul actually turns a little bit harsh on them. He calls them ignorant. He says they're ignorant of the thing that they worship. And he's now going to proclaim it to them. He's basically saying, you, you guys are hedging your bets because you're not quite sure who God is. But really, you're just ignorant. You can actually know who God is. God has revealed himself. And I'm going to tell you all about it. And he, he goes, on, I'm going to, for the sake of time, kind of skip to the end of what Paul says. Uh, he gives a, a kind of a speech. We heard Jenny read it that, that talks about there is a God who made the world uh, that that he won't be found in idols because he is the creator of all things. Uh, and it's Acts 17 if you want to check it out later, but I'll skip to verse 30. He says, In the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Paul says God has called all people everywhere to repent. Uh, that word repent just means to turn away from what they've been doing and turn towards God. Uh, and we do that by turning to the one he sent, 
The proof is in the man in that man raising from the dead. So Paul says. And that man, of course, is Jesus. The one at the centre of Christianity. The one who claims to be the only way to the Father. And if this passage in Acts is correct, the one God has appointed as judge of the world. It's interesting that we reflected before on the different claims the religions of the world make about the right path. I think one of the most interesting things to note is, is what each of them say about Jesus. Now, to give you some, Islam says that Jesus was just a prophet. Judaism says the opposite, that Jesus was a false prophet. Hinduism says, uh, consider Jesus to be a holy man. Uh, Buddhism says he was an enlightened man, a wise teacher. And, of course, Christianity says that he is God's son and the only way to heaven. So how can I, how can we be sure that Christianity's version is the right one? They all disagree. They can't all be right. Why land with the Bible's version? I actually think there's a, quite a number of reasons for that. Uh, but let me give you one of the big ones. Uh, and that is that the history is good. Uh, listen to this passage from the book of 1 John, uh, written down by one of Jesus' closest followers, not surprisingly, named John. Uh, this is what he says about it. He says, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Um, now, I've highlighted those words. They're not highlighted in the Bible, unless you get your own highlighter. Uh, but I've done that to show you uh, something that we see there. I've done it to show you where we get this info about Jesus. Uh, this isn't some hand-me-down story uh, that, that's kind of been Chinese whispered through history. Uh, this hasn't been distorted and changed. This is written down by the guys who were with Jesus, the people who were alongside him day and night. Uh, they saw it with their own eyes. They heard it with their own ears. Uh, that passage from Acts, from Acts 17 we read, said that God had given proof of who Jesus was uh, by raising Jesus from the dead. These followers who wrote this stuff in the Bible uh, were the ones who saw him, them along with a whole bunch of others. They saw him before. They saw him die. They saw him after. And telling people about it didn't make them rich or powerful. There wasn't anything in it for them. For the most part, it made their lives a whole lot harder. Now, for most of them, it meant death for proclaiming what they did about Jesus. And we know the reality. You don't die for a lie. But they died to declare that Jesus was exactly who he proclaimed to be. Um, now, I haven't given you much there. I haven't proved anything really. Just pointed you vaguely towards some evidence. Uh, and we don't have time to, to kind of work through all of that stuff. Um, but I do want to say, if you're sceptical, that the evidence is there. The history does add up. Uh, if you're writing off Christianity in some notion that we can't trust the Bible, it's probably because you haven't actually checked to see whether those claims are true. Uh, you haven't taken the time. You've, you've heard it from someone and you've taken it at face value. I want to encourage you to check it out for yourself. 
I'm really happy to point you in, in the direction of some good resources that kind of help you to do that. Um, but don't, don't give up on this for, for some notion of lack of evidence because it's there. Um, now, after saying all that, perhaps you're thinking, sure, it, it might all point to the truth, uh, but why would I want to follow this guy who tells me it's his way or the highway? Uh, surely the Australian in me wants to rebel against the man. Uh, if he's telling me that's the only way, surely I want to go in the other direction. Uh, that idea that isn't he arrogant? I don't want to follow this arrogant guy. Uh, which takes us to our third step. Uh, we're going to see why Christianity is different, different to what you might think. Uh, to do that, I want to go back to that first verse we looked at where Jesus said that he's the only way. I'll read it again. Uh, Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And now again, we, as we read that, you can see how it can come across as arrogant. Uh, you can see how someone can be turned off by this notion. Uh, but, but really, the big question should be, is it true? Um, let me give you an illustration to help you think about it. I want you to imagine you're in a hall just like this one, and we've just discovered there's a bomb in here. Now, don't panic, there's no bomb. Uh, don't be alarmed, we're just imagining. Uh, but in that scenario, we want to get away from this bomb, don't we? We want to get clear. Imagine I know that there's only one door that will get you out safely. Would it be arrogant for me to tell you which door that is? To me to, for me to point it out clearly, say this is the only way out? Would it be too pushy if I told you that if you run as fast as you can into that cupboard, it won't help you? Of course not. See, Jesus saying that he's the only way would be arrogant if it wasn't true. If all paths lead to God, uh, then Jesus is a jerk for insisting that we take his way and not some other way. But if it's true, then it's completely appropriate. In fact, I want to suggest to you that Jesus, rather than being arrogant, is the complete opposite. In fact, I want to point out that the reason that there's only one way to God and not no way to God is because of Jesus. Jesus saw our predicament and he stepped in and he did something about it. He gave us a way. Uh, have a look at another passage. This one's from a book called Philippians and it kind of talks about what Jesus has done. It says, do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. See, rather than being arrogant, Jesus laid down his very life for the sake of others, to create that path, to create a way to heaven. And if you're familiar with, with what that's about, uh, again, we can't cover it. If you're unfamiliar with what that's about, we can't cover it all in much detail tonight. But let me give you the short version uh, of what Christians call the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. The Bible tells us that God created the world and everything in it, including us, and that each one of us have turned our backs on God. None of us have rightly acknowledged God for who he is 
And that's where Jesus steps in. Seeing we fall short, he steps into our place. He takes the punishment we deserve and he does that by dying on the cross. And I think that's where people get confused about Christianity. I think it's why they have such a a strong response to Jesus' claim. I think often people have the idea that Christianity is about being good. It's about following the rules. And if that were the case, uh, then it would be completely unreasonable when on comparison, there's a lot of pretty good people out there uh, compared to the people who are Christians. Uh, Take our imaginary Betty that we talked about earlier. Uh, She may be made up, but there's plenty of people just like her out there, aren't there? If it was just a case of being good enough, it would be absolutely appalling to suggest that that Betty doesn't make the cut. But that whole idea misses the point. Christianity says we all fall short. None of us are good enough. Not Betty, not any of us. Not a single Christian would make the cut. Not one. That's why Jesus steps in. Christianity doesn't say its people are better than Betty. It's not performance-based at all. And that's the other side, of I think, of why Christianity stands out as being different. See, as best I can tell, every other religion says uh, you must do, whether it's laws to follow, uh, emptying yourself of desires, uh, going on a pilgrimage or, or something else, It's all about what you do. And if you don't perform, if you're not good enough, then you don't make the cut. But Jesus is different. Jesus doesn't say it's what you've done. He says it's what I've done. It's about what he's done for us. That means that Christianity, rather than being exclusive, is inclusive. All are welcome. All are invited to take hold of what Jesus has done for them. That's the incredible news at the heart of Christianity. It's not what we must do, but what the love of Jesus has done for us. That he would die for us. I don't look at Jesus' claim to be the only way as arrogant and exclusive. I look with wonder at the path that he sacrificially forged for us. That's the message of Christianity. That's why when we go to sporting events, we sometimes see that big John 3.16 placard. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's good news. Christians proclaim it loudly because it's good news, because it's worth listening to. And if they really understand the gift that they've been given, they'll be desperate. We are desperate for others to share in that gift as well. There's no arrogance about it. It's wanting to treat others the way that we treat ourselves. I said that we'd finish by thinking about what it means for us here and now. Uh, And I think in one sense it's pretty simple. This is good news, so grab hold of it. If you're here today... If you haven't yet grabbed hold of the truth, I want to encourage you to take it with two hands and hold on tightly. This isn't Jesus threatening my way or the highway. This is Jesus desperate to get you to heaven, willing to die on the cross to make it possible. It's good news. Grab it. But for many of us, we've already taken hold of that truth, haven't we? 
We've accepted that Jesus is the only way, and so we've decided to follow him. If that's you, I want to caution you against the danger of arrogance. Uh, we start off, when we started off, we, we recognised the reputation of Christians uh, as often being uh, of arrogance. And while, yes, uh, some of that I think is a misunderstanding of Jesus' message, uh, we need to acknowledge that there's plenty of people out there, uh, often that will be us included, who claiming Jesus act arrogantly, who start to think, and I think it's tempting to think that, that if we're on the, the right path, then somehow we must be better than others, that we've made a good choice that others haven't, even to look down on others who aren't there yet. But if we start thinking in that direction, then we've missed it. We've missed the message of Christianity. The whole point is there's nothing we can do. We're not any better than anyone else. We, we've got no grounds to look down. Uh, no grounds to elevate ourselves above others. The whole point, as we've seen, is there's nothing we can do. It's all what Jesus has done. So how can we credit ourselves with any sort of superiority? The example we need to look to is Jesus himself, who humbly treated others as better than himself, whose love for others took him all the way to the cross. If you're a Christian, then Jesus is your example. Yes, we absolutely need to share this good news, but we need to do it with hearts full of love. We need to care enough about people that will do whatever we can to show them how wonderful this good news is. I'm going to pray for us all that we can do that. So please join with me. Lord, we want to thank you. Uh, we thank you uh, uh, that as we've looked at this question, we, we've seen the great love that Jesus has for us, that rather than arrogance, uh, rather than demanding his way of the highway, uh, he acts in love. He laid down his life for us. Lord, we give thanks for that great truth. And uh, we give thanks for uh, the history that shows us all this that's happened. And we give thanks for your word written down so faithfully. And Lord, I pray for any uh, amongst us or in our community that, that haven't seen this truth yet. I pray that you could show it to them. Show them the goodness of this good news. Help them to take hold of this path that you've opened up for them. Help them to put their trust in Jesus. And for the rest of us, uh, and keep us humble. Remind us of what Jesus has done for us, that it's not of ourselves, it's all him. Uh, and help us reach out to others with this good news. Uh, help us share it faithfully, generously, in love. And we pray that in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Uh, now the band's going to come up. Uh, they're going to lead us in one more song. Uh, and then we'll do question time. Of this one, very good. Uh, it's not too late to text a question through if you'd rather be anonymous. Uh, but are there any questions? Hopefully, I do okay. I, so much pressure. I don't know how Liam does it every week. Hi. Sorry. Maybe probably be a question that doesn't have an answer, so sorry. Do we, my know, kind. do we know that there is only one heaven? 
does Buddha have his own heaven? Does Muhammad have a heaven? Like, are there multiple? Well, uh, we, uh, yes, we know. Because how would that work? I mean, our God claims to be the only God. Uh, if he's true, then then it wipes out the other claims, doesn't it? So, um, you know, I guess you've got to entertain the possibility that we could be wrong. Uh, maybe Buddhists right. Uh, I don't think they have a heaven. Uh, Hinduism has nirvana. I think they have Buddhism. It doesn't matter. Uh, but... But maybe that's the right answer. I think the evidence shows us, uh, and certainly my personal experience shows me as well, uh, that, that the God we're following is the right God, uh, and so we need to listen. Uh, we need to be sympathetic to people who are genuinely going down another path, um, but we want to show them the evidence and the truth of the Bible. Yeah. George is there. Look, we don't have to be discouraged in the book of Acts because Paul went out, he went to the place where they were preaching the unknown God hmm. and what was the reward after that? And it tells us there, it says that uh, many, when they heard about the resurrection and no religion preached that and then went on and we'll hear later on, one group says, and then finally, there were some in verse 32 that joined. So yeah, we as yeah. Christians should not be discouraged, but go out and preach Jesus Christ, the Christ resurrected. So I'm yeah, just yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Um, just a statement more than a question. Um, Jesus is the only one that's... Come back from the dead. None of the others have. Yeah, that's right. The other um, leaders of faith have come back from the dead, have they? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's where I say I think uh, I know that in my heart that that Christianity is true, um, but there's also this great evidence that that, as best as I can tell, is incomparably uh, accurate, real, there for Christianity that that we see holes in, in a lot of the other religions. I find it hard. I have a sister that says, but how do you know, you know your Bible's true? I, ha I find that hard to answer in a short answer because I know it is because I've investigated it for 30 years. <laughs> mm. But it's hard to come up with a, short, a quick answer for someone who's just asking that question without having investigated. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I think, so I mean I alluded to it in the sermon, I think, that most of the time if, if someone says, oh, you know, there's no evidence for the Bible or it's been changed through history, they're saying that because they haven't actually checked it out. And someone's told them it's an easy thing to hold on to. It's a lot easier to say, oh, well, it's probably disproved somewhere down the way, so I don't have to listen to it. But if you look at the evidence and you discover that it's real, all of a sudden I have to pay attention to it. Uh, and that's why I think people resist actually looking into it for themselves. Sue at the back there. I have a question about um, how do you answer people when they say, what about the God of Islam and the God of the Bible and they're both related to 
Abraham, how do you answer them when they say, what is their God? What is the difference between our God and their God? Is it the same God or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a really hard. I find it a really hard question to answer people. Yeah, so I, I mean, the first thing I would say is, is slowly is part of the answer. So, uh, it, I don't think it does us any favors to say, very briefly, nah, you're wrong. They're different. It, it, we we need to be compassionate. Uh, we need to care for people. Uh, I think a lot of the work comes in in sharing our lives with people. They get to see what we believe isn't just something we say but something we live. I think that makes a big difference. So that's helpful in any question. Um, but again, uh, it, it's a step through. They, they, the simple answer is they, they contradict each other. So what Islam says about God is very different to what Christianity says about God and, and they can't both be right. Yeah, well, if it's the same God, it's a God with a personality disorder because yeah. they're different, aren't they? Uh, I mean, you know, I, there's no other Robs here. We've got a couple of Allens here. Uh, and I can, oh, same name, same person. But it, it doesn't take much investigating to realise that they're different people. Of course they're different people. Um, but, again, I think it's the lazy answer to say, oh, well, they're the same, so I don't. And it's all messed up, so I don't have to listen to it. Any any real investigation shows you they're different, uh, and that's where I, I gently want to push people to say, "Hey, if you're really going to think about this seriously, look into it, and you you'll see there's these differences. You'll see they can't be the same." I mean, it, it's funny, isn't it? The people push for this idea that they're all the same thing, but if you talk to the different religions none of them say none of them are okay with that you know so so you ask the islamic person is is the christian god the same god they're going to say no too and they recognize the difference of the claims um it's only people on the outside who just want to simplify that try to push them together ron now regards to that last comment of yours um, didn't uh, Jesus say to the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees that uh, the God of Abraham and of, of Moses and Isaac is the God of the living? And Abraham was, was, a, was not a, a Jew at that time, nor was he a Christian. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. And so that's one where uh, obviously we share a lot with Judaism, uh, the Old Testament for one, um, and so there's a lot of similarities in that sense, uh, but we still have this key difference of who do we say Jesus is. Uh, and it's the difference that matters. If Jesus is the only way, uh, then we've got to get this right. Alan, one of the famed Alans. Uh, can you make a comment about Catholics? Uh, they worship the same God as we do. Oh, that's a loaded question, isn't it? Uh, oh, yeah, look, so I guess uh, and, and it all boils down to who do we say Jesus is? Uh, is Jesus the sole way that we get to heaven? Is it what Jesus has done and nothing else? Uh, and I think historically that's where 
uh, we get some difference with Catholics. That's what the Reformation was largely about, uh, is, is saying it's not just Jesus. Uh, it, I want to be very wary to, I don't want to speak in one sense to all of Catholicism. Uh, I think we need to be careful how we, we paint people with that brush. But uh, from, from my looking at it, particularly as, as we did through college, there's some pretty key Catholic doctrines that, that just don't reconcile with that, with, with Jesus being our sole way to heaven. Uh, and, yeah, so, so I said to Sue with, with the person talking about Islam, I want to talk slowly through this one. I want to go even slower on, on the Catholicism one. Is that was that too lazy? Did I did I was I too political? Hopefully that gives you a sense. Uh, see, maybe we should. I don't know if that's my child or not, but maybe we should get the kids back soon. No, I just wanted to add to what you said. Catholics believe that Jesus died to remove immortal sin from our souls. However, they believe that we have to confess to the priest about our mortal sins, which and so yeah, it's a big difference. They sort of say Jesus is only good for that one off wash down of more immortal sin. Yeah, yeah, and it's again, there's there's actually such a, a broad uh, range of views within the Catholic Church, though it doesn't always present that way. Uh, I would say at a wholesale doctrine level, uh, there's stuff we can't just can't reconcile with, but I, I, I've no doubt there's people who get get it within the church and don't follow those doctrines that just don't reconcile. Um, but I would be very careful to make any wholesale comments, if that helps. Over to you, Ben.